This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs.
thank you, ladies, for reminding us of God's uh, unending faithfulness. And I've needed, I've needed that faithfulness, and you have as well, I'm sure. Please open your Bibles to, uh, to the New Testament. We're actually going to be in two different books this morning, Matthew, the book of Matthew, and then the book of Luke, Matthew 4, Luke 5. Today we continue our series entitled, Follow Jesus. In our first lesson, a couple of weeks ago, we were reminded that being a sinner does not disqualify you from taking steps to follow Jesus. Rather, being a sinner is a prerequisite. The only people Jesus ever invited to follow him were sinners. Did you ever think about that? In fact, it almost seemed like Jesus chose some of the biggest scoundrels of his day. And and for the record, as your pastor... I would much rather pastor a bunch of former scoundrels. And of course, the key word here is former. But I would much rather pastor a bunch of former scoundrels than to try to pastor those who think they've always been good and always been close to God. And, and I've, yes, amen. I've come across plenty of those people. And as a whole, I'll just open my heart to you, but as a whole, they're a challenge to pastor. And here's the reason, because nothing or no one is ever good enough. In fact, you know, we pastors, we refer to them as squeaky wheels, complainers. Uh, They haven't been super bad, and and so they don't have a lot of grace for those of us who have been bad, and, and we just can't seem to measure up to them. So, for the record, at this church, we welcome scoundrels, scallywags, and sinners. And that takes care of most of you there. So just saying. Secondly, in, in, in our last lesson, we discovered, and, and this one kind of messed with my mind. It messed with my preconceived ideas. Being an unbeliever does not disqualify you from beginning to follow Jesus. And, and this is huge. Nobody who followed Jesus in the first century initially believed he was the son of God. You know, they thought he's this nice guy and, you know, he healed my my sister-in-law and he fed 5,000 of us on the hillside. And, you know, he's kind of an interesting guy. Most of the rabbis, they're boring because they talk about the law. But but this guy actually is kind of interesting to listen to. And and so why not give him a try? That that was kind of the attitude. But But nobody in the first century, to begin with, believed he was the son of God and the savior of the world. And here's what that means to us. Even if you don't have everything figured out, even if you have some doubts about the Bible and the inspiration of the Bible, even if you have some doubts about Christianity, the great news is Jesus has still invited you to follow him. You can lean in the direction of Jesus. You can read the Bible even if you don't think it's inspired. I mean, you don't read anything else because it's inspired. You can start praying even if you're unsure if this prayer thing works. You can start following Jesus without fully knowing and understanding and believing. One more discovery we made is that Jesus' invitation to follow was not the invitation of change and then you can join us. 
I mean, that's a misconception that a lot of people have. In fact, that's why a lot of people never come to church because they don't feel like they can ever line up to the church's standards because they believe the invitation is change and then you can be part of us. Jesus came along and his philosophy was join us and then you will change. And Jesus knew that as people followed him over time, you know, they would look in the mirror and they said, oh, my word, something has happened to me. You know, I'm, I'm not who I used to be. I, my habits have changed. My vocabulary has changed. My desires have changed. When you truly follow Jesus, there will be change. And as the Bible says, all things will pass away and we will become new creatures in Christ Jesus. And so the question we asked in our first lesson and and the question we will ask in our second lesson and the question we will ask in our third lesson, Lord willing, next week and over the next few weeks is, is it's not... How many verses did I read today or or how many minutes did I pray or or what type of worship music should be sung at the church or or what translation of the Bible should I read? But but the question that we're going to continually be asking is, am I following Jesus? And I'm going to put you on the spot right now and I'm going to just ask you that. Are, are you following Jesus? And if you say, well, sure. I'm following Jesus. My next question is, well, how would you back that up? And if you say, well, I'm following Jesus because I attend church or because I was baptized or because I pray or because I read my Bible faithfully. If that in your mind is the measuring stick you have for following Jesus, let me just kindly say, but bluntly (laughs) say that you're misguided. Those are not proofs that you are following Jesus. And hopefully Over the next few weeks, we'll learn what it really means to follow Jesus. Today, as we continue our series, we're going to talk about taking the next steps. And I actually probably should have entitled this lesson, Taking the First Steps. And we're going to look at another incident where Jesus told people to follow him. And and we find this incident documented by both Matthew and Luke. Many of you know that we have four accounts of the life of Jesus. We have the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what's awesome is that... uh, with four different accounts from four different people with four different perspectives, we end up with different angles to the same story. They're not in conflict. We just have different details. To begin with, we're going to do a quick reading of Matthew's account, but then we're going to spend the lion's share of our time in Luke's account. And and the reason we won't spend much time in, in, in Matthew is because Matthew gives us very few details. It, it appears that Matthew is kind of like a lot of us guys, most of us guys, and, and you women can say amen, but we're not into details. That's not our strong point. You know, our wife asks us, okay, how did your day go? Well, it was good. Well, anything happened? No, not really. Well, anything else you want to tell me? No, that's it. And we're comfortable with that. And Matthew was that way. He didn't offer a color commentary. He didn't elaborate. Just in very few words, he told what happened. Let's look at Matthew's brief account. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, reading from the NIV. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. 
So, so Peter and, and his brother Andrew were, were working. And I know the Bible says that they were fishing, but, but they were not fishing for fun. They were fishermen by trade. And, and so when they had to mess with nets day after day and, and clean fish day after day, fishing became work. But anyway, they're, they're at work. And a guy walks up to these two brothers and basically says, Hey, I'd like for you men to quit your jobs and follow me. And Matthew says they did. That's it. No other details. No detail about giving a two-week notice. Nope. Just walked off the job and followed Jesus. Well, it, it sounds pretty radical, doesn't it? And it happens to two other brothers. And going on in verse 21, it says, Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So, quit the job, followed him. Now, now honestly, from my perspective... Uh, this doesn't seem very Christian. It doesn't seem very ethical. It doesn't seem very responsible. Uh, James and his brother John are in a family business with their dad. And, and, and they say, uh, hey, dad, you know the stranger wearing sandals with long hair that showed up this morning? By the way, we're going with him and we won't be back. Good luck with the family business and tell mom we love her. Hope to see you again before you die. End of story. That's Matthew's account. No details. And again, it seems really radical to me, and it fits the sermons that we've heard, and even some that I probably preached. You know, if you love Jesus, you'll give up everything, and if he's not Lord of all, you know, then he's not Lord at all. And most of us, when we hear that, because we want to sound spiritual, on the outside we're saying, amen, preach it, brother, yes, amen. And But on the inside we're saying, oh, I could never do that. I could never leave Cedar County. I could never leave my extended family. I, there's just no way that I could do ever do what Gabe and Erica did this past week and go serve Jesus in Albania. Sorry, I just couldn't do that. That's not for me. Okay, that's Matthew's short to the point account. Well, the good news is that even though what Matthew recorded truly happened, yet that's not all that happened. Thankfully, Luke comes along and Luke is writing to people like you and me who need a little bit more information before we walk off the job and leave the family business and follow a complete stranger. So let's look into some of those details. First of all, this story takes place on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, uh, let, let's look at a, a quick map here. You can't see it very well, but um, this is the country of Israel. And uh, you've got Jerusalem right here. And you've got Nazareth, and uh, here is the Sea of Galilee. So just kind of picture in your mind in the north part of the country, um, there, there's the Sea of Galilee, and, and so this story takes place there. And, and if you ever go to Israel, one of the main destinations will be the Sea of Galilee, and, and, and you will probably even get to take a boat ride out there. And of course, this is the place where Peter walked on water, and I think we've got time to insert a kind of a funny story about a couple of pastors. You know, for pastors, it's our goal, it seems like, to go to uh, to Israel because it just opens the word and opens our eyes. And and then when you read of the of the Sea of Galilee, you know, you say, well, I, I, I've been there. I can kind of imagine. But there were a couple of pastors and their spouses that had gone there for a tour and, and they were at the Sea of Galilee. And, and what happens if you're in a small group like they were just the four of them? Because these boat owners, they like to uh, go out there with a full boat. And so they'll throw you in with, with another church group or a tour group. And so that's what happened. They were thrown into this, uh, into this other group for the boat ride. And, 
And uh, this, this was a, a kind of a, an over-the-top, uh, charismatic, bubbly group. And, I, I mean, they, they, they were in the Holy Land or the Sea of Galilee. And, I mean, they were just so, so happy. And, and they were listening to Chris Tomlin music. And what better place to do that? And, and well, when the boat got a little distance away from the shore, they, they generally stopped the boat. And, and somebody will give a, a short devo and... And the leader of this other bigger church group, he was given the Devo, and he happened to share the story of, of Peter walking on the water. And, and as he finished the devotional, he said, hey, would you all like to walk on water a lot like Peter did? And, and, uh, and this other group, uh, you know, the, the, just over the top, they went crazy. They were clapping and cheering. And so pastor got out a bottle of water, poured it on the deck of the boat and said, OK, let's walk on water. And they went wild. I mean, just cheering and, and they all there just stomping and, and walking on that bottled water there on the Sea of Galilee. And, and then the leader looked at these other two pastors and their wives and said, don't you want to go home and be able to say that, that you walked on water? And I think these pastors just kind of rolled their eyes and said, thanks, but no thanks. Anyway, that, that had nothing to do with our, our lesson today. But if, if you get to go to Israel with us here this next year, we may get to walk on water. Never know, bottled water. But, but anyway, our, our story takes place on the Sea of Galilee. And, and here's Luke's version that thankfully has a few more details. Luke chapter 5 verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and that's the Sea of Galilee, same place, the people were crowding around him listening to the word of God. Now, this is a very important detail. Jesus is down by the Sea of Galilee. There's a big crowd that's gathered around him. And this is what's important. He's teaching the word of God. And what is significant about this is that this helps us to see that following Jesus begins with truth. Following Jesus does not begin with leave your job, leave your family and just start following. And that's what many false cults do. They, they want you to blindly follow the leader. They, they don't want you to ask questions. They don't want you to investigate. They just basically want you to zip your lip and follow the leader. Do what you're told. They want to control the information that gets to them. But real faith and real Christianity is built on truth. It's not built on someone's charismatic personality. It's not built on someone's testimony of how they came out of drugs and alcohol. It's not built on, well, my family has been in the church for years. It's not even built on the fact that your church teaches this or that. Real Christianity is built on truth. Don't ever forget that. And so it's okay to ask questions. You know, we, we kind of grew up in an atmosphere where, well, if, if, if you ask any questions, that means you doubt. But it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to investigate what your church stands for. It's okay to research and make sure that your pastor is interpreting the script, scripture correctly. It's okay to not accept everything in the church at face value. Because Christianity is built on truth. So Jesus is standing at the edge of the water, teaching the word of God. Verse 2, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Now, let me, let me explain this to you. What would happen is that they would fish at night because the waters were cooler and the fish would come to the surface and it was more likely for them to swim into the nets. And then in the morning, the fishermen, they would pull up their nets, gather the fish, clean them, uh, you know, clean the fish. And, and then they would get the seaweed off of the nets and they would stretch their nets, put them on wooden posts so they could dry. And then after they were dry, they would roll them up and they would be ready to go when they went fishing that evening. 
But anyway, these fishermen were washing their nets when Jesus walks up. Verse 3, stepping into, into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Now, now we don't know if Peter tied a line to the boat and pushed it out of ways or, or if Peter's actually sitting there in the boat with him, just keeping it fairly close to the shore. But Jesus is teaching the crowds from the boat. Well, after Jesus finishes teaching, verse 4, he said to Simon or Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, you need to track with me here. Jesus asked Peter to do something Peter had done probably a thousand times. But what is important is that Jesus asked Peter to do it in a way he had never done it before. He asked him to let down the nets in the middle of the day. Now, if that were me, I would have probably said, hold on, Jesus. You know, I, I, I don't know if you were paying attention, but we just finished cleaning our nets. And and that's no little chore. And and uh, maybe to help us understand this better, let, let me illustrate it this way. For those of you that like a clean car, and I know Ralph does, and, and a few of you, you like clean cars. Others of you, you're relaxed, and, and, and for you, messy is beautiful. But if you like a clean car, let's just illustrate it this way. Let's say that you go someplace, and, and there was road construction, and they uh, detoured you off the main highway and onto a dirt road, and it just rained, and, and so it was super muddy, and you got your car absolutely filthy, and well, when you got back into town, you thought, I can't stand to drive this car around this way. And so you go to the car wash and, and you do the pre-soak and then the wash and then the rinse and then the wax and then the spot-free rinse. And $8 later, 15 minutes later, your car is clean again. Well, then let's say that someone comes up that, that you've never met before and they ask for a ride someplace that would take you down that same detour on that same muddy road again. And in your mind, you're thinking, oh, are you kidding I just got my car all clean and, and you're wanting me to go through this again. And, and that's basically what Jesus, who was a complete stranger to them, they had cleaned their nets and they were ready to go home to, to rest until the next night. That's what had happened. And Jesus said, put your nets in the water again. Well, Peter says in verse five, master, we've worked hard all night, haven't caught anything. Now, this is important. They'd fished all night. They'd fished during the prime time hours when fish were more likely to be caught, but they had not caught a single fish. And here Jesus is saying, Peter, I want you to let down your nets again, and I want you to do something you've done many, many times, but now I want you to do it my way. I want you to do it in the middle of the day when fishing is not supposed to be good. And, and by the way, this request was not really about catching fish. There was something much bigger at stake. What was at stake was whether or not Peter would trust Jesus. And that's why this next part is so awesome. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so. Did you notice he did not say, okay, well, you know, we'll do it because I enjoy fishing. Or, you know, we'll do it because it was a new moon and, you know, last night and, and, and we might actually get lucky and, and catch something in the daytime and we really need to catch something since we got skunk last night. No, Peter said, I will let down the nets because you say so. Now, for some of you, I wonder if that's exactly where you are right now. God is nudging you to do something that seems a bit odd to you. 
And you're thinking, God, that, that just doesn't make sense. And, and maybe you haven't realized it, but perhaps Jesus is testing you to see if you will trust him with something that maybe seems a bit strange to you. So what happens? Well, verse 6, when they had done so. It doesn't say when they had believed so. It doesn't say when they had thought so. It doesn't say when they had intended so or even when they had prayed so. Rather, it says when they had done so. You know, you can talk, you can pray, you can dream, you can have good intentions, but until you obey and show action, let me back up and say until we obey and show action, then we're not really showing that we trust God. And the question I have for us, it's a little bit of a serious question here, sobering question. How many of us have made some commitments to do things differently and then not followed through? In fact, I wonder how many of us right now would say, yeah, I know of some things that God um, probably wants me to do differently. And in verse 6, it continues on, says, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now, I don't know you Hubbards, you've caught some pretty big catfish. And I don't know if you've ever had two boats that were just about to sink because of the catch. But that was an incredible catch. And when Simon Peter saw this, what do you think he did? Do you think he said, woohoo, we won't have to work for weeks now or... Or, Dad, let's take a selfie. I want to post this on Facebook. I mean, this is the catch of the century. Or Instagram or whatever. You know, for us, our default reaction is to get all geeked out about the fish. But again, it wasn't about the fish. Notice Peter's response. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and says, Go away from me, Lord. And Did you catch that? Peter didn't call him master. And that's what was typical back then, master. But he called him Lord. He said, go away away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. And what's significant is here for probably two to three hours, Peter had been shoulder to shoulder and eyeball to eyeball with Jesus. But it was not until, listen, it was not until he took this step of obedience, of putting out his nets in the middle of the day, that suddenly his eyes and his heart were opened and he realized he was in the presence of almighty god verse 10 jesus said to simon don't be afraid from now on you will fish for people so they pulled their boats up on the shore left everything and followed him aren't you glad we had luke's version that gave us gave us a few more details now before we go home let me reinforce three quick observations from this account that we will just call next steps and again we mentioned them earlier but i want to make sure we don't miss them first again following jesus is based on truth the people were listening to the word of god christianity cannot be based on just listening to someone else give a prophecy or or give an opinion, or spout off a creed, or preach a a message, or anything else like that. Christianity is a faith that is based on the truth of God's Word. And for some of you, the next step 
is you need to begin to seek truth. You need to begin to explore God's Word. Don't go on traditions. Don't take people's writings as gospel truth. Don't even take, listen, don't even take what I say as truth unless you first check it out in the Bible. I'm very, very fallible. But the Bible is infallible. You need to be in the Word. Following Jesus is about seeking truth. Here's the second observation. Obedience involves action. Jesus asked them to let down their nets, and they did. And for some of you, that's your next step. You know the Word. You know what you should do. Some of you, you need to quit an addiction. You know, God has already convicted you of it. You just need to do it. And it's not because I say you need to quit or the church says you need to quit. God has already put that sense in you that it's wrong. And your obedience needs to go beyond just saying, yeah, I know I should quit. But your obedience should turn into action. Some of you here this morning, maybe you need to get involved in a ministry. You know, I, I want to say this kindly, but I think you'll understand what I'm saying here I believe there are a lot of people in this church that have had a free ride and, and, and they come to church and they enjoy the donuts and the music and the kids program and, and they enjoy the beautiful lawn that our volunteers work hard to maintain, especially, especially this past week when it kept raining. You enjoy a clean building that, God, that is God honoring. You've enjoyed the small groups or the Sunday school classes, but, but, but I believe that there's some people here in this church that have basically had a free ride. They haven't committed to helping with any of that. Maybe there's some people here that maybe you've, uh, you know you should tithe. But you haven't taken that step of faith. Some of you here, maybe you know you should be into the Word, but you haven't really done it. Understand that obedience involves action. And this is where your life will get tremendously exciting when you obey and, and maybe when you even do something that you've done a thousand times, but now you do it Jesus' way then God sees that you're trustworthy and, and the journey gets so amazing. Last week when I was trying to get this message in my, in my head and into my heart, and, and this may, may kind of sound a little bit weird, but I went back to some of my high school days and, and I began to remember some of those forks in the road where now I realized that God was testing me to see if I would trust Him. For example, when I wanted to go into the medical field and I had taken some preparatory courses and and had some scholarships to colleges that would have helped me out there so that was joe's desire but it was like i began to sense that god was saying joe trust me trust me trust me and i want you in ministry and and as, as i look back you know it's like wow I'm so glad I didn't settle for a medical profession. And then after I graduated from, from college and, and I had a good job and Faith had a good job and we were making really, really good money and, and I began to feel God was leading us to go to the mission field and it was like that voice again was saying, Joe, trust me, trust me, trust me. Yes, and this is the truth. You will now take about a 90% pay cut. We did. But trust me, trust me, my way, my way. And throughout life, it's been, Joe, trust me, trust me. And, and as I look back, I've never regretted for one moment those times I trusted and obeyed God. 
And then the third observation that I want to wrap things up with today is that worship is a natural response. You know, as you go on a journey to find truth and as your obedience turns into action, the natural response will be to worship. And, and our attitude will become, Lord, I'm so unworthy. I'm so undeserving. And I just want to bow down and worship you. You know, it's been said many, many times you've heard this, but unfortunately we worship our work and we work at our play and we play at our worship. You know, the bottom line is that we as Christians don't take our worship very seriously. And here's our favorite quote. We love to say, well, you know, it's a private thing. You know, I'm such a private person. I'm so shy. But did you notice what Peter did there in front of that huge crowd of people? And we don't know how many, but maybe several thousand people. But there in front of that huge crowd of people, Peter didn't care that this was a total stranger to him. Peter didn't care that thousands of people were seeing him. Peter didn't care that he was going against the current of Judaism at that time. But the Bible says that Peter fell on his knees before Jesus and confessed him as Lord. You know, I so wish that we would lose our fear and maybe even lose a little bit of our dignity when it comes to worshiping God. If Peter could possibly bow down and worship in front of several thousand people, why can't we show our love and affection to Jesus openly in front of a, in front of a couple of hundred people? And I don't want a circus atmosphere. God forbid. That's not what I want. But, but when Peter had an encounter with the living God, when, when he had an encounter with Jesus Christ, he didn't worry about what people thought. He was so lost in worship that the only thing that was on his mind was that I need to bow down. Before my Savior and my Lord. So this morning, could I just encourage us to lose some of our pride and our fear and inhibition when it comes to worshiping Christ. And again, I'm not wanting emotion. I don't want wildfire. I don't want any of that kind of stuff that would just bring attention to us. If it brings attention to us, it's wrong. But I want it to bring attention to Jesus Christ. So here we have... uh, the beginning steps of following Jesus. And as we continually will do again, week after week, I ask you one more time today, are, are, are you following? Am I following? And maybe this week, that could be one of our prayers. God, I want to follow you. I don't know where we got so messed up because we've made Christianity all about just reading our Bibles and, and, and praying and coming to church and tithing and doing good things. And all of those are byproducts. But, but that's not just following Jesus. Following Jesus is, is when we have that intimate relationship where we commune with Him. We obey Him. We worship Him. And I pray that God would bring us to that point this week. Let's pray together. Father, I just ask that You would give us a glimpse of what it really means to just follow You. Lord, forgive us for those times that we've reduced following you down to certain things. Lord, forgive us for those times that we've had such a distant, sterile relationship with you. But God, we want to come to the point where we see you as Lord, not just a Savior that will save us from hell, but a Lord that we can worship. God, help us as we take the next steps this week. Lord, this week as maybe people are brought up face-to-face with their addictions, I pray that they would have the courage to say, with God's help,
I will become victorious. Lord, I pray that there would be some people this week that would say, no more free ride for me. I'm going to get involved and I'm going to, I'm going to serve here at the church. Lord, I pray that, that their obedience would turn into action. And then, God, I pray that whether it's at home or here at church, Lord, that we would just proclaim you as Lord, that we would worship. God, I pray that worship would be part of our lives. Lord, that we wouldn't just come to church and say, okay, it's time to worship whenever we start the music. And I've heard that so many times. And Father, I believe that is so far from what you have in mind because worship needs to be a lifestyle more than just music, more than just in church, but it needs to be a lifestyle. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to worship you and learn to worship at the foot of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. And Lord, as we continue to learn about following you, just give me insight. Lord, as this next week, as I will even this afternoon probably begin searching, continuing our study on following, I pray that you would give me insight and just open our hearts, prepare our hearts. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We pray this in the precious name of not just our Savior, but our Lord Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.